I want to wish you good morning, and um, this is a kind of a bittersweet morning for me because this is the <clears throat> last Sunday that we'll spend in our study of Acts. And I have really thoroughly enjoyed this study, but at the same time, it's the end of a year-long study, so it's, it's time <laughs> for us to move on. And <clears throat> I thought it would be appropriate for us to start this morning um, for me to just ask you, how many in the room, by show of hands, have not seen Toy Story 3? Okay, <clears throat> it's been out for about five years, so sorry. Uh, spoiler alert this morning. I will try not to give too much of the story away, but I think it's an appropriate entry into our last Sunday in Acts, and here's why. <clears throat> when our family went to see Toy Story 3 years ago, many years ago, in the theater, we left early. We left in the middle of Toy Story 3. Now, here's why. For, for those of you who have seen this, you will know that um, there's a moment in the movie where Woody and Buzz and all of these toys that our family had grown to know and love over years and years of other Toy Story movies are captured by bad toys. They're captured by the evil toys, and they're not treated very well, and they're not spoken to very nicely. And then that bad treatment, treatment kind of turns into like more or less torture. And it's not like extreme. <clears throat> it's nothing really graphic. It's toy torture. So it's like, you know, something like having your, your batteries forcibly removed with a screwdriver or something like that. But at the time, our, our kids were quite young, and this was, um, this was a little too intense for them. And by a little too intense, I mean a lot too intense. And by a lot too intense, I mean like begging us to leave the theater kind of intense. <laughs> and I could tell, like, <clears throat> I have no problem leaving the theater early because I could tell that by the, the looks on their faces and, and the tears in their eyes that we were not making a fun family memory here. <laughs> This was not something we were going to look back on with fondness later. So I had no problem leaving. But I also knew, like every other parent who takes their kid to see an animated movie, that in the end, it was all going to be fine. Right? You kind of know that in the end, it's all going to be fine. Now, I'm not giving too much away by saying that, I don't think. But we know that whatever the odds are, however sinister the villain is, however foolproof the evil scheme appears to be, we know that in the end, everything's going to turn out to be okay and we're all going to learn a valuable lesson. Because that's just how it works. We just know how it ends. So how worked up can I get in the middle of Toy Story 3 about what's happening to the toys when I know how it's going to end? How anxious can I really be for Buzz and Woody in the middle of Toy Story 3 when I know how it's going to end? Everybody knows that in a good story, you have to go through the bad part to get to the good part. Everybody knows that, unless you're one or four or seven. <laughs> you don't know that. You don't know that yet. So, that, so when you get to the hard part, when you're young, you freak out because Buzz is having his batteries forcibly removed with a screwdriver, and they're speaking to him very harshly, and we love Buzz. You just don't know that yet. So you freak out, and then you bail out. That's how you respond to hard things in a movie when you're young. And then you leave thinking, I never want to see a movie ever again. 
That's kind of, that's kind of your mentality when you're little. Now, how on earth does this fit into our story in Acts? Well, I'm going to tell you, but you're going to have to wait. You're going to have to wait a little bit. This morning, we're completing Acts. We're going to finish a year-long study, and we're going to look at the end of Luke's account of not just Paul's missionary journey, but the beginning of the early church, the start of the early church. And we're going to see the end of Acts, but we're not really seeing the end of the story. The book of Acts doesn't really finish. It just sort of ends. It's almost like Luke just stops writing. And if you've been waiting for a year for a great ending to a story, you're going to be a little bit disappointed this morning because it's not really what Acts is about. We don't hear about Paul's trial in Rome. Yes, Paul's trial that we've spent chapter after chapter talking about and waiting for and anticipating, we don't even get that in Acts. We don't hear about the end of his life. We don't come back and revisit Peter, who we left like 12 or 13 chapters ago. We don't come back and revisit the end of his life. Why is that? Well, it's because the book of Acts isn't about Paul. The book of Acts isn't about Peter. It's not their story. It's not their story at all. The book of Acts is the beginning of a much bigger story that continues on after Acts. It's the proclamation of God's story and what God has done. It's the story of his impossible love for us. It's the story of God's loving act of sending Jesus and Jesus' saving work on the cross on our behalf. It's the story of his resurrection eventually and God's willingness to pay the penalty for our sin so that we could be reconciled back to him. That's the real story that's being told through the book of Acts. See, the book of Acts is about God empowering his people to tell his story, not Paul's story, not Peter's story, God's story. And what we see in Acts and what we see in Peter and what we see in Paul is a model. It's like a template or a guide of what it looks like to faithfully proclaim God's story until the very end. Either the end of our story or the end of their story or the end of God's story, whichever comes first. So what we see in Peter and in Paul is their willingness to proclaim God's story until the end of their life. And what we want to see in the church is a willingness to proclaim God's story until the end of our story or the end of God's story, whichever one comes first. Now, we're going to look at the last chapter in Acts this morning together. And before we do that, I would just ask if you would pray with me. Heavenly Father, we're really grateful this morning for your word. And we're just grateful, Lord, that you would give us these examples and these models to follow. But most of all, we are grateful for your faithfulness. And so we pray that we would be faithful to proclaim your story. And that we would follow the example that's set for us, Lord. That we would be people who proclaim boldly the story of what you have done until the end. Lord, would you speak to us this morning through your word as we open it and look into it. We pray this in your name. Amen. If you have your Bible this morning, would you turn with me to Acts chapter 28? If you don't have a Bible this morning, we have some on the benches here. So in the chairs, there's probably one in the middle of your aisle if you don't have a copy of God's Word. We left some here for you that you can use. And if you don't have one, we'd love for you to take that home with you. That would be our gift to you. Our desire would be that everyone would have a copy of the Word of God. We're going to be in Acts chapter 28, which if you're using our Bible is going to be toward the end page 937 of your Bible there in the pew if you're using that. 
Now, the first thing that we're going to be reminded of this morning in Acts chapter 28 is that God is faithful. Now, that may not seem like a big revelation to anybody, but it is a good reminder. It's good for us to remember from time to time that God is faithful. And here's why I say this. Paul has stated again and again his desire to go to Rome. He's said it for a long time. I want to go to Rome. I want to be with the believers there. I think that God has a purpose for me there. He said it for years on end. In fact, let me just read for you for a minute an excerpt from a letter that he wrote to the Roman Christians three years before. Here's what he says. He says, let me say first, before I do this, imagine for a minute that you are the church in Rome. You've never met Paul before, but you've heard about him. And this is written to you. This is part of a letter that's written to you. That may help you hear this a little differently. So here's what he says. Let me say first that I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Because your faith in him is being talked about all over the world. God knows how often I pray for you. Day and night I bring you and your needs in prayer to God, whom I serve with all my heart by spreading the good news about his son. One of the things I always pray for is the opportunity... God willing, to come at last to see you. For I long to visit you so I can bring you some spiritual gift that will help you grow strong in the Lord. When we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith, but I also want to be encouraged by yours. I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, that I plan many times to visit you, but I was prevented until now. Three years ago, he writes this to the believers in Rome. And up until that point, he felt he had been prevented from coming to see them. Now, if you remember where we've been over the last few chapters of Acts, you're going to think that's funny, because if he thought he was prevented before, just think about what Paul has been through since he wrote this. He wrote this before he went to Jerusalem. If you remember, when Paul gets to Jerusalem, he's beaten nearly to death and then arrested. Then he goes on trial before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leaders, And then he goes on trial before Felix, who keeps him in custody for two years. Then he goes on trial before Festus. Then he has to defend himself before King Agrippa. Then he gets on a boat to go and defend himself before Caesar. And you might remember that was kind of adventurous. He's nearly lost at sea, shipwrecked on an island, and he spends three years, three years, sorry, three months stranded on an island before he can even get to Rome. So if he thought he'd been prevented before, just think about what he's been through since. So when Paul finally shows up in Rome, it's a big deal. It is an answer to prayer. When God said, I will get you to Rome, he came and reminded him multiple times, Paul, I'm going to make sure you get there. And God follows through on his promise. So look with me, Acts 28. We began the first part of this last week, so we're going to start in verse 11 of Acts chapter 28. And it says this. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days, and from there we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up, and on the second day, we came to Petuli, where we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome, and the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Apius and the three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself 
with the soldier who guarded him. Paul's arrival in Rome is this highly anticipated event, anticipated by Paul and anticipated by the believers in Rome. They're both waiting for this to happen, and God has been faithful to make it happen. Against all possible odds, Paul arrives in Rome, and just as he prayed, he's encouraged. Luke tells us he thanks God, and he's encouraged. Now, remember that Paul is still a prisoner, so when Paul shows up in Rome, he's escorted by soldiers. So when the believers, it says, host Paul for a week, for seven days, the believers host Paul and his friends. Well, guess who else they're hosting? The soldiers. And I, I can only imagine, this is just a quick aside, but imagine Paul and his buddies staying in a house together with a bunch of Roman soldiers who are escorting him to Rome. Imagine what the conversation is like in that house. Hey, Paul, did you know that Jesus died for our sins? Why no? Tell me about it out loud and often, right? Just, I can imagine if you're one of those soldiers and you don't want to know Jesus, this is an unbearable assignment. They spend a week with the believers there in their house. It's an encouragement to him. It's an encouragement to them that he's got there. And he just thanks God. Thank you, God, for your faithfulness. You've said that I would arrive here, and I would imagine there are times that he's doubted that it would even happen. And yet God has seen through to get him to Rome. So we see that God is faithful. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing we see at the end of our study in the book of Acts. We see that Paul is faithful. Look with me in verse 17. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers... Though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it's because of the hope of Israel that I'm wearing this chain. And they said to him, we've received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. Paul's first order of business when he arrives in Rome is to meet with the Jewish leaders there, just as we have seen Paul do in every city that he goes to. First, he meets with the Jews, and he wants them to hear. And then he'll go and tell everybody else, just like he told the Romans in the letter that he wrote to them. That same letter three years ago, he says this, I'm not ashamed of the good news about Jesus Christ. It's the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, first the Jew, then the Gentile. Paul says it over and over, and we see it in his ministry over and over. Here's the thing. Paul wants to tell them, look, I don't have anything against you. I don't have anything against the Jews or the Jewish nation. I'm one of you, but I'm also a follower of Jesus, and I need you to know that. Because Paul's genuine hope is that wherever he goes, that the Jews would recognize their own Messiah, that the Jews would recognize their Savior, their Rescuer. The hope is that his own people would recognize the long-awaited hope of Israel. That's how Paul describes Jesus, the hope of Israel. 
the anticipated restoration of the kingdom of God that the Jews have been waiting for has been realized in the person of Jesus, and he wants them to know that. So he wants to start out with them on good terms. And they just kind of look at him. They sort of shrug and say, we really haven't heard anything about you. Nobody's written us a letter saying, look out for Paul. Nobody showed up here to warn us about you. So we're happy to hear what you have to say. We'd actually like to hear what you have to say. Because all we know so far is that the followers of Jesus are opposed wherever they go. That's what we know. So we'd like to hear from you, Paul. Then verse 23, it says this, When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Paul gets one day, he gets one full day, morning to evening, to tell them about Jesus. And it says that he explains it to them, and he testifies to it, and he tries to convince them. Actually uses all three of those words. Expounds, meaning explain, and he testifies. He gives his personal testimony, which we know is a powerful one. And then he tries to persuade them using the law and the prophets. So he's working hard at it. He really wants them to believe But what does it mean when he says he tries to convince them or persuade them using the law or the prophets? Because if I came to you and said, I need you to talk to this person that doesn't know Jesus, and I need you to persuade them to follow him using the law and the prophets, what would you say to me? What? (laughs) I can talk to somebody about Jesus. I don't know what that means. So let me just explain. Here's what it means. The Jews have the benefit of knowing the beginning of the story. The Jews already know half the story, maybe more than half. They already know the Old Testament, and they believe it. They believe that it's true. They already know the one true God and have a relationship with him. They already know about man's separation from God in the garden, about our sin and rebellion and rejection of God. So that part of the story they're already very familiar with. They also understand that God's standard of holiness is unattainably high because they live under the law. And if you just spend some time reading the law in the Old Testament, you will realize that living under the law is oppressive. They have constant reminders that they cannot meet God's standard of holiness. It is beyond them. They also know that God has promised a rescuer, that God has promised to reconcile them to himself. They already believe in the one true God. They're painfully aware of their need for a rescuer and their inability to meet God's standard. So here's the question. Where else would the news of Jesus be better received than with people who already know all of that? They already know it. They already feel it. They're waiting for a rescuer. And Paul says, he's already come. And you missed it. And let me help you see it. And I'm going to help you see it through all the things that you know and care about and live through. But once again, we see that Jesus is the line on which people divide. Always. Look with me in verse 24. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. 
The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear but never understand, and you will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. The response to Paul's message of Jesus is similar to what we've seen throughout his ministry. Wherever he goes, it's similar. Though the Jews are willing to hear what he has to say, the truth is that Jesus is divisive, always. And it says some are convinced by Paul's argument and his hard work to tell them who Jesus really is, and some just don't believe it. They just can't see it. So Paul leaves this interaction with them with the same words that God spoke through Isaiah, that the people of God have become numb to the voice of God. He says, you don't understand, you don't see, you don't hear. So here's what's going to happen. The story of what God has done, the gospel, is going to go to those who understand and those who see and those who will listen. That's where the message goes next. The message goes to those who will receive it. Jew or not Jew, either one, the message goes to those who will receive it. So we see that God is faithful. That's a good reminder. We already knew that. We see that Paul is faithful Just like everywhere else, Paul is faithful to declare the gospel, the story of what God has done, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile, just like he said. What we see at the end of the book of Acts is that both of them are faithful to the end. Both of them see it through. Verse 30, he lived there two whole years, this is Paul, at his own expense, and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness, and without hindrance. So Paul stays in Rome. He's waiting for his trial, and he gets to stay in his own place. Now, he's still guarded. He still has a soldier there with him, but he's not in prison. He's in his own place. People can come and go and visit with Paul. He can do a little writing, which he did a lot of. And it says that he tells people about the kingdom of God, and he teaches them about Jesus. And then it ends. That's the end of the book of Acts. And if you've been waiting for the conclusion, you may just be like, huh, that, that's the end? It ends with Paul being faithful to proclaim the kingdom of God and Jesus. And it ends with God faithfully clearing the way. Do you see that? Do you see that in there? It says, Paul's proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness, that's Paul's part, and without hindrance. That's God's part. God says, I'll clear the way, and you share my story. And when God stops clearing the way, that's when your story ends. That's what he says to Paul. At the end of Luke's first book, the Gospel of Luke, Jesus tells his followers, he says, guys, I had to suffer. I had to die. I had to be raised from the dead in order to free you from the consequences of your sin and your rebellion from God. Those things had to happen so that I could free you from the consequences of your sin and your rejection of God. 
But now, because I've done that, repentance and forgiveness should be proclaimed in my name. That's what Jesus says. That's the story that you're supposed to tell. You tell people about repentance and forgiveness that are available through me because I did that work. And he says, you are my witnesses, so you tell my story. That's the command that Jesus gave. I did the work, you tell the story. And then what did he say? And I will help you. I will be with you to the very end. I will go with you. I will send the Spirit of God to empower you, and I'll be with you to the end. I will do my part. I will be faithful. I did the work, then I will help you, (laughs) and it's my story. I just need you to tell the story. And what we've seen over the course of the last year, as we've said countless times, is a group of regular people who love the Lord, who are equipped with that story, that impossible message of hope, that unbelievable message of hope. And they're doing extraordinary things through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the story of Acts. The book of Acts ends, but the story doesn't end. Acts is just the beginning of the story that's being told, of the message that's being proclaimed. And it doesn't end with Paul's trial or the end of his life because it's not Paul's story or Peter's story. It's God's story. The real story is God empowering his people to tell his story, to proclaim his message to a world that still doesn't understand him, can't see him, won't hear him. And God says, take the message to those that will receive it in a world that has become numb to the unbelievable, impossible story of the gospel. That's the message. And the example that Paul sets is someone who will faithfully tell that story till the end of his story or God's story. In Paul's case, his story ended first. Paul's beheaded eventually, faithfully proclaiming the story of God until the end of his story. God is faithful. You can take that to the bank. That's a promise we can make. In this case, we see that Paul is faithful to the end. Proclaiming the gospel got him in a lot of trouble, put him through a lot of work. In the end, it got him beheaded. But Paul's faithful to proclaim the story to the end. So the natural question for us this morning as the church, after Acts chapter 28, is will we be faithful? Will we be faithful to proclaim the story of God? Until the end, either the end of our life and our story or the end of his. Or will we give up because we're in the middle of our story and it got hard? This is the part where it gets painful or difficult or discouraging and we're going to give up in the middle. I told you I'd come back to it. Eventually, my kids finished Toy Story 3, not in the theater, at home. (laughs) That's always a little bit easier. And they loved it. They loved it because you know what? As it turns out, in the end, everything's okay and we all learn a valuable lesson. That's the end of the story, just as we thought it was. But that's really the difference, isn't it? The difference between seeing it through to the end and leaving early. That's the difference. Because when you leave early, what do you remember? I remember, well, it was bad and it was hard and it was scary and I don't ever want to do it again. That's what you remember when you leave in the middle. When you see it through to the end, you remember what? I loved it. 
Yes, I recall a very difficult part in the middle, maybe a lot of them, but in the end, it was worth it. In the end, I love it. I'd do it again. I'd watch it again. So the question for us is, will we stay till the end? Will we be faithful to the end? Will we see it through as followers of Jesus? Here's the thing with following Jesus. We know how it ends. We know how the story ends. So this has been around a little longer, a few thousand years. We know the end of this story. But spoiler alert, I'm going to tell you how it ends. Whether you're a follower of Jesus or not this morning, I can tell you how the story ends. The story ends when we press on, like when we die. That's when the story ends, or when Jesus comes back. And for the followers of Jesus, either one of those is good. Like, we'll take either one. Those are both a good thing. Here's why. Because for the followers of Jesus, this life on this earth with all of its pain and with all of its heartache and with all of its disease and perversion and violence and all of that is the closest thing to hell that you will ever experience in your life. For the followers followers of Jesus, this is the closest thing to separation from God that you will ever have to endure. For the followers of Jesus, this is as bad as it gets. Praise God for that. It's all... Downhill from here? I was going to say uphill, but that sounds worse. It's all downhill from here. This is as, this is as good as it, uh, bad as it gets. Sorry. And there's, let me just read to you from 1 John. Here's what God says. This is what John would tell us. He has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. Here's what John says. Here's why I wrote it. I have written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. John says, if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, if you believe in his death and resurrection, I want you to know that you are saved. I want you to know it. I want you to know how the story ends. And if you believe those things, you know how the story ends. And why is it important that I know how the story ends? Because it changes the way I live my life. Because if I have to endure through the middle, but I know how the story ends, I can stay till the end and I can see it through. It matters how the story ends. And John would say, I want you to know how the story ends and be sure. The opposite is also true. That same passage, John says, whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. What does that mean? That means for those who don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, then this life, with all of its pain and with all of its heartache and with all of its perversion and with all of its violence, is the closest thing to heaven you will ever experience. It is the closest thing to being in communion with God that you will ever go through. It means that this life, right now, with all of its struggle, is as good as it ever gets for you if you don't follow Jesus. So in the end, you will get what all of us rightfully deserve, eternal separation from God, separate from God forever. That's what it looks like. That's how the story ends. That's why Jesus says, I have a better idea. 
I have a better idea than that being the end of your story. Let's trade places. I'll take what you rightfully deserve, and you take what I rightfully deserve. That's why Jesus says, I'll suffer and I'll die in your place. And then you become a child of God, destined to live with a loving Heavenly Father forever. And if you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, I need you to think about this. I really need you to consider it for a minute. That's the offer that's on the table for you. Jesus is the line on which we divide. We can't make you follow Jesus, but we can strongly recommend it. You might be here, and you may not be a follower of Jesus. You may be saying, you don't know who I am, and you don't know what I've done. You don't know my life. And I would just say, you're right. I don't know your life. I don't know what you've done. And I would just say, I don't think you understand the offer. I don't think you understand the offer that's being made because Jesus says, I love you anyway. And I know who you are and I know what you've done because I'm the one that bled out on the cross for what you've done. And I say, I love you anyway. Can't you see how much I love you? Can't you see that you can trust me? That's what Jesus would say. Our hope this morning is, if you're not a follower of Jesus, that you would make that trade, that you would see the value in that. You have your connection card this morning, and there's a place on there you can just say, I want to become a follower of Jesus. Or you just want to ask a question about it. Or you can come up to me afterward and you can talk to me about it. Or you can come up to Joe and you can talk to Joe about it. You can talk to a lot of people in this room and say, I want to know more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus because I want to know that the end of my story ends in heaven with the Lord. I'll take that trade. I'll take that deal. For those of you who are in the room right now and you already are a follower of Jesus, here's what I would say to you. You know the end of your story. You know how the story ends. So then I'm going to ask you one more time. Will you be faithful? Will you be faithful to see it through to the end? Or will you leave in the middle when it gets hard? And on that connection card, I would just encourage you, if the Lord is putting it on your heart, that i got to see it through. Right now, when it's hard, i got to choose to be faithful and endure. Put it on your card. I'll see it through. I want to be faithful. Because we want to pray for you in that. Because that's why we do this together. Because it's hard to do this on your own. And if it's not hard now, it will be. If you're going to be a faithful follower of Jesus, it's not going to be easy. That's why Jesus says, I'm asking you to see it through to the end, and I'm going to see it through to the end. I will be with you always to the end of the age. Jesus says, if you'll see it through, I'll be right there with you the whole time. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, you are amazing. Your offer of salvation is more than we could ever ask for. And so, Lord, I would just ask now that as we sing to you, that you would hear our gratitude and our voices and our song, that we would sing as those who have been rescued and understand, even in a small part, the weight of what you've saved us from and invited us into. Lord, I would pray right now, if there are those in this room who don't know you, that they would hear you and see you and understand you, that they might come to saving faith in your son, Jesus Christ, that they might know you and know the end of their story. 
Lord, would we be faithful as a church to proclaim your story to the end. Pray this in your name. Amen.